Um, I do have one more, I think, urgent announcement that I do want to make just before we get to the message and jump in. And uh, it's one I think that um, I, I think just needs to be announced. And that is just as of a moment ago, Argentina is leading 1-0 against France. <laughs> and so if, if I just kind of spoiled it for you because you're PVRing it, I, I apologize. I, I really do. But there is an hour left of the game that you still will record. And also there's that magical thing called stoppage time at the end. And who knows how long that ever is. And so just so you know. But uh, this morning I want to begin our talk uh, a little bit more on a serious note. And I want to begin with uh, putting a question to you this morning, as we often do here at Wellspring on a Sunday morning, because we really want to engage uh, God's heart and one another and what it is God says to us in his word. But the question I have for you this morning is, as you think about your life and your life journey, what has someone sacrificed for you along the way? You know, and maybe it was your parents or maybe it was, you know, your marriage partner or a friend, but but what is something that someone has given up or did to, to benefit you uh, in some way at a cost to them, you know, that demonstrated to you their love for you or, or their care or their concern for you? You know, maybe it was their time. Maybe they gave up their time for you in a way that you knew was a sacrifice. Or maybe it was something small like driving you to a sports practice at some ungodly hour of the morning on the weekend. Or maybe it was <clears throat> something bigger, putting you through school, and that meant putting other things on hold or maybe even going without. But what sacrifice comes to mind for you that someone has made for you? And I just want to invite you to engage that question for a moment, share about what comes to mind with the person you're sitting beside, or think about it the least if you're on your own as the countdown kind of goes on behind me. But take a moment and think about something someone has sacrificed for you, okay? Take a moment. Well, for me, you know, I remember years ago when Lynn and I were first married, uh, in our, as we were engaged, uh, I was realizing, we were realizing that we were being called to serve in vocational full-time ministry as a pastor. And uh, Linda had actually already graduated from Bible college, but I hadn't. And so after getting married, I had to drag her to Regina, Saskatchewan to minus 30 cold weathers for our first two years of marriage. And she kind of put me through school, and it was just a big sacrifice that she made uh, for us um, and for me, and something I'm always grateful for. And I don't know if, if what has come to mind for you, but I just think it's so good to take a moment and pause and appreciate what others have done for us, don't you think? Isn't that just a good exercise to do, to kind of stop and take stock and consider how we got here? Because so often how we got here was with the help or the sacrifice of someone else. And, uh, you know, sacrifice is, is a love language. It, it's a love language. It's an expression of devotion. And as you think about that concept of a sacrifice, you realize it's more than giving. You know, to sacrifice is to surrender something. It's to 
It's to give up something or to forgo something for the sake of someone else. That's the definition of what it means to sacrifice. And you know, one of the unexpected, but also I would say unmistakable things about the Advent story of Jesus, the, the scriptural account of the coming of Jesus, is how the circumstances of Jesus' birth all point to him being born as a sacrificial lamb given to atone or pay for the scriptures say the, the sins of the whole world, including uh, yours and mine. And that's what I want us to pause to marvel at this morning and to take a moment in our journey here with God to, to remember that it was always God's plan to send Jesus right from the very beginning, before anything was created, the scriptures tell us, right from the, the foundations of the earth, you know, uh, Jesus was always the plan. And as we looked at last week, Jesus is God's greatest gift to us. He's an incredible counselor. He, he's mighty God to us. He's the one who leads us to the everlasting Father. He is a Prince of Peace for our lives when we embrace him. Not only was he always God's plan, not only is he God's greatest gift to you, but he was born to be God's sacrificial lamb given for you to cover over all of your cracks, all of the mistakes of the journey of your life, all the things you wish you could get a do-over on, all of the things you're not even aware of are an offense to the, the absolute perfection and pure love of God that I don't even see that you don't even see. All of these things have been taken care of should we embrace Jesus as Lord of our lives on account of him being born as the, the sacrificial uh, lamb of God. See, Jesus was always, he was born to die. That's, that's the basic message of scripture. It's why we've got the manger at the base of the cross. And in God's incredible plan, it was followed by the hope of a resurrection that is now offered to every single person who would put their hope in Jesus for the cancellation of the penalty of sin over their life. And God's just judgment is what the scriptures say, but also for the hope of a greater life to come that far will eclipse this one in every single regard. And will go on forever uninterrupted and unpeated by any darkness whatsoever within and without. I mean, how amazing is that? This is the story of the birth of Jesus, being born the sacrificial lamb of God. This one born of a virgin who the scriptures say his birth was announced first to lowly shepherds. And I want to come back to that incredible part of the story in a moment. But let's grab our Bibles together. Get out your Bible with me and go to Luke's account of the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, to look again at the story and all of its details because we never want to take this potentially familiar story for granted. You know, there are so much detail and layers of meaning and significance in every aspect of Scripture, and the story of the birth of Jesus is no different. And I want to look into some of the details that God puts in the Scriptures for us just to see the majesty of his providential plan for his son to one day be born to die on our behalf as God's sacrificial lamb. I'll be reading from the New International Version, 
Starting in verse 1, Luke chapter 2, it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register, Luke says. And so right away in the story, you see it's, it's rooted in historical context. And there are specifics to give us confidence of its factuality and veracity and reliability. Verse 4, so it says, So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And here Luke is beginning to fill in some blanks for us, because all along in the Old Testament there were prophecies of one coming who would be in the line of David, who would be connected to this place, Bethlehem. And Luke is helping us see that this plan of God is now unfolding. Verse 5, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And, and then Luke goes into detail. I'm not sure why, maybe, but I think it's for us to fully appreciate who it is was being born. But he says, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, Luke says, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You know, as Luke is giving us this account, you know, he's just spending a lot of time. He's giving a lot of words. The Gospels aren't necessarily that long, but he's giving a lot of detail to the, the attention of Jesus' birth. And he's just making it really clear that no, nobody would miss who was being born and the purpose for which he was born. And this is a part that I want to invite you to take special note of. It's verse 12. It says, this will be a sign to you. Because whenever you hear that phrase, you should really listen up. This will be a sign to you. The angel says, you will find a baby wrapped in claws and, and lying in a manger. I want to come back to that in a moment. But suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary, Luke says, treasured up all these things and, and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, Luke says, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen were just as they had been told. In Heavenly Father, we want to pray, pause to pray in this moment this morning. And we want to be like Mary. We want to ponder all the things about the birth of your son that we're reading about again in your word. We also want to be like the shepherds this morning, glorifying you, praising your name about all that we have heard and seen about the coming of your son. And Holy Spirit, I'm just asking you to blanket us, Lord, this morning. You'd blanket us with your love. 
and you'd awaken our hearts to see this amazing gift that you've given us in your son who came to be a sacrificial lamb for our lives. And so Jesus, as we again look at the details of the story of your coming, would you bring fresh revelation and fresh invitation to our hearts to know you. To know you as the lover of our souls, the shepherd of our souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the unexpected things as I'm thinking about the details of this story is that Jesus' birth, uh, his arrival is first announced to shepherds, not kings, not the religious leaders of the day. Even though Bethlehem, where this happens, is, you know, just right outside the city walls of Jerusalem, right outside the center of it all, the temple at the time, you know. And you have to think why. Why these shepherds who are, you know, out in the fields, why them of all people are they getting the first announcement and an angelic one at that in terms of the arrival of Jesus? And on one level, you know, it's surprising. And on another level, it's not. Because if, as you look and review the story of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, you see that over and over again, God compares himself to being a shepherd to his people who he says are like sheep. And so is it any wonder, actually, that the first to hear of Jesus' birth are shepherds out in these fields outside the city of Jerusalem in this nearby town called Bethlehem. But throughout Scripture, God compares himself as a shepherd to his people as sheep because he wants us to see that he is one who is ever-present. Did you know that? Who is watching over you when you're high, when you're low, when you realize it, when you don't. Did you know that? Because he wants you to see that he's the one that desires to guide you if you follow his voice, which you'll begin to identify through his word, so that he'll take you to places that are good for you, uh, green pastures, if you like, still waters for the inner atmosphere, you know, of your person, of your soul. All for his namesake. You know, this is the description and picture of God's heart for us that we see in Scripture. It's, it's what Isaiah said in the Old Testament of God. When he says this about God in Isaiah 40, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. See, this is not the picture of an angry God that some people think God is. This is the picture of a tender-hearted shepherd caring for sheep who are in need of him. And, and not just pulling them along or prodding them along, but, but, but holding them close to his heart, the scriptures say. I hope that's not too mushy for you. I mean, this is the love of God for you. This is the picture you know, later through the prophet Ezekiel, God promises to send a, a savior. And there are prophecies throughout the Old Testament of a coming Messiah. And God says this one who he will send will be like a shepherd. He will be like a David, Ezekiel says. David being Israel's shepherd king that God had first raised up after Israel's failed king. Saul. Only this coming shepherd king that 
through Ezekiel, God is saying is coming for his people will be much greater than that shepherd king of Israel at first. He'll be flawless. He won't have any of David's fallenness or imperfections. He'll be a prince. Through Ezekiel, God says this, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and, and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant, David, will be prince among them. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. It says in Matthew that when Jesus saw the crowds, as he began his ministry, he had compassion on them. Does that not sound like that image of the shepherd? And it says this, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, it says in Matthew 9, verse 35. And then in the Gospel of John, Jesus declared, I am the good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. And there Jesus is prophesying about his coming death, the reason for which he was born in this great plan of God to bring forth a Messiah who could only save us like Jesus. Because there's no one else like Jesus in all of history, past, present, or eternity. You know, the, first, the shepherds were the first ones given the news of Jesus' birth because that's how God wants you to see him. And he wants you to see him through the lens of Jesus as the good shepherd who's come for you. The one to watch over you. The one who sent his word to you to guide you, to lead you to good places. And by his spirit, tend to the wounds of your heart and the issues in your life as you would turn yourself over and surrender to him in all of those hidden and dark places. Because throughout scripture, God is God. God is called a God of healing. And it is in this imagery portrayed of a loving shepherd who brings lambs close to his heart and tends to them that he wants us to see him. You know, in my office here at the church, I have a small figurine that someone bought me as a gift. It's on the screen behind me. I keep it there on a little side table to just catch my gaze every once in a while, particularly when maybe I have moments in the day or week or month where I'm like, I'm, I'm losing sight of God being with me in the challenge of life. I just need to see that imagery and remember who he is, who he has come to be for me, you know. And you know, on the bottom of that little figurine are the words of Psalm 23, the, the words of David where he says, the Lord is my shepherd. You know that psalm? Have you memorized it? Have you taken it to heart? You know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads, he leads me beside still waters. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, David says, on account of him. Not what I've done, but what he's done for me, but who he is. And this is what the birth of Jesus reminds us to see, that Jesus has come to be our good shepherd. How do you see him? What is the imagery of God that comes to your mind when you think of him? Is this the image? I know we live in a modern world. We don't really see a lot of shepherds. Lynn and I were in Rome a couple of years ago. We went on this fantastic bike ride through the countryside, and suddenly we had to stop on this old uh, Roman road that we were riding an electric bike on because this herd of sheep came by. And it was just like catapulted us into like another realm. But this is the picture that God wants us to have 
of him. It's a timeless one. And we need the truth of Scripture to shape our thinking, our feelings, our, our pictures of, of who God is. We have not been left to our own devices here. We've been given the revelation of his word and the most miraculous coming of God taking on human flesh in his son to give us the right picture of God that each one of us needs to have and carry within our heart as we consider why we're here, who we are, and how do I go from here? It's Jesus, the shepherd of our souls. You know, everything about the circumstances of Jesus' birth, of him being born in a stable, placed in a manger, and being first visited by shepherds, none of it is by accident. It all points to how Jesus wants us to see him as God's promised Messiah. But here's the even more unexpected part of this story. And it's a bit of a twist as you consider what is unfolding in the story of Scripture. In Jesus, the shepherd also becomes the sheep. The God of the universe takes on human flesh, moves into our neighborhood, takes on our very life. The shepherd becomes a sheep, and not just a sheep, but he is born a lamb, a sacrificial lamb. In Jesus, the shepherd willingly chooses to become one of the sheep, and not just any sheep, the sacrificial lamb of God given for the sin of the whole world. That's incredible. You know, in the opening chapter of the Gospel of John, it says that when John the Baptist, who was a forerunner of Jesus, sent to prepare people's hearts for Jesus, begins to see Jesus, he publicly shouts out, because he probably couldn't help himself, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's pointing at Jesus, and he's shouting that statement at him. This is the one. The shepherds become the sheep. He's actually become the Lamb of God. You know, prior to Jesus at the temple in Jerusalem, not far from Bethlehem where Jesus was born, sacrifices had to be continually made under the covenant of the Old Testament to maintain right relationship with God in the acknowledgement that none of us are holy like God. We've all fallen. We've all got mistakes in our journey. We've all got things we would rather forget, but often can't. Sacrifices had to be made under the old covenant to atone for the sins of the people day after day, week after week, year after year. That is until the coming of one, until the coming of Jesus. Because even to this day, there's no temple in the sovereign plan of God. There are no sacrifices being offered in the sovereign plan of God because Jesus came to be the Lamb of God to end all sacrifices. Not everyone connects those dots, but those are the realities of history that we stand in right now that we can look back and see that after the coming of Jesus, there are, there are, there's no more temple, there's no more sacrifices, even from those who, who don't believe he was the Messiah. On account of what? On account of God's sovereign plan and bringing forth the Lamb of God to, to be the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, that we would never again have to worry about whether or not our sin has been covered over, washed away, dealt with, before God, because he is one who loves us and wants no fear in the relationship. And he removes fear of where I might stand. Not on account of what I could do. That's, that's, 
that's an anxiety-producing thought. But on what He did for me, and that's the peace He wants to rest. He wants me to rest in. He wants you to rest in. But you know, under the old covenant at Jewish Passover in the springtime, the blood of a firstborn lamb, without blemish or defect, would be shed in sacrifice to atone for, or pay for the sin of your household. Through the sacrifice of the shed blood of an innocent lamb, God's judgment would be stayed and would pass over you. That was the understanding. That was actually the command. God instituted sacrifices in the Old Testament as a temporary measure. A temporary measure to illustrate sin's seriousness. It's a hard thing to sacrifice a living animal. But it was there to illustrate the seriousness of our fallenness and our brokenness and our willful disobedience before God. And it was also to illustrate sin's eternal penalty of death and separation from God. You know, but, but God also instituted the sacrifices in the Old Testament to foreshadow the coming of Jesus, you know? That he would come and be like an innocent lamb who would one day die in our place. That his shed blood, his perfect blood, would be a covering, an eternal covering for our sin. That God's judgment would not just be stayed, but would pass over you for all eternity and never come back and never ever be raised in terms of a question. You know, scholars speculate that the shepherds who were out in the fields that night, who the angels first, you know, announced Jesus' birth to, may actually have been maybe not quite the lowly shepherds we thought of, but may, and it's speculation, temple shepherds. You see, in a number of Jewish writings from first century, from this very time frame, keeping sheep was said to be um, permitted only far away places from Jerusalem, in the so-called wilderness of Judea in the hills and the outer lying areas. Unless, there was only one exception, unless you were raising sheep in preparation for sacrifice at the temple, then they could be raised and nurtured and watched over close by. And in our text, the shepherds who first hear the news of Jesus are tending flocks where? In the fields of Bethlehem, which is right beside what? Jerusalem. And so it's possible that these lowly shepherds may have, in fact, been temple shepherds raising sheep for sacrifice. You see the picture here. These first ones being told about the birth of the Lamb of God may very well have been watching over the flocks being prepared for sacrifice. Luke says they were keeping watch over their flocks at night. That's another interesting detail of the story. See, because normally young boys were the ones put out into the fields to watch the sheep stay at night. Think of David before he was called to be king. Where was he? Out in the fields living with who? The sheep. The adults didn't do that. That's for the kids, you know? They, they're younger. They don't feel it like we do, you know? They weren't out there. But in this story, it's men who are out with the flocks at night, not young boys. And you would only be out at night with sheep at a certain period of time in the year. Now, this is stuff I had to look up because I'm not a farmer. But it's a season called lambing season. Anybody know what lambing season is? I had no idea what that was. It's the season of the year when lambs are born. When lambs are born. And, and shepherds will stay with the sheep during lambing season through the night to make sure all of those lambs being born make it safely 
And so they're watching out over the flock as these new lambs are born. And in this context, this religious context, especially the firstborn, because those were the ones set aside to be prepared later for sacrifice at the temple, especially if this may have been a flock near Bethlehem. You know, in the fields where the temple shepherds watch over the sheep were also an aid to the shepherds to do this. There were lookout towers at the field. They were called the Tower of the Flock. And you'd look out over the flock so you could look out for predators. You could see all of them at once. It's a hilly area, so you needed a vantage point. And these towers would give shepherds a vantage point to keep watch through the night of what was going on. This Tower of the Flock that they would use. But here's the interesting part. In the Old Testament, there's a prophetic word in Micah chapter 4, verse 8, where it speaks about the coming of the Messiah. And I hope I'm not going too far down the rabbit trail here for you. But it says, And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion. Zion is the hill in which Jerusalem has been built upon. To you shall it come, the former dominion shall came, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. And some believe that these shepherds were on a flock tower, just right outside Jerusalem in the fields of Bethlehem. And that's where the angels of the Lord came to them to announce the birth of this Lamb of God. Historians say that when a firstborn lamb was born in preparation for sacrifice, they would clean that, that lamb off. And they would actually wrap, him in, wrap that lamb in cloths. And they would put them in a protective place, like potentially a manger because they were being set aside, protected, and making sure they weren't harmed, and they had no blemish in preparation for being used at the temple as that temporary measure of what God had commanded in terms of the sacrifice of a lamb for sin. And so, when the shepherds find Jesus wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, and as a Temple shepherd, that's your job. What are you thinking? Let alone the heavenly announcement made. It's an incredible story when you begin to look in the details. Some of those historical, extra-biblical thoughts are speculation. But I think there's much of the story we don't fully appreciate in terms of how God orchestrated the coming of his son and all that it speaks to in terms of him being the Lamb of God. You know, earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, when the angel comes to Joseph, the angel of the Lord tells Joseph to not just give this child any name, but the name Jesus, because it's a name that means the one who saves. The angel says, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Lamb of God, who's come and has been given for you, for you. And I feel like that's what we need to remember at Christmas. That Jesus was ultimately born to die. And that thought actually, though it entailed suffering, brought the heart of God joy. Because it was the way that God had planned to deal with all of the space between you and him for all eternity. And everything that transpired in the scripture before the coming of Jesus and even the, the details of the circumstances of his birth point to that purpose for his life to be God's ultimate sacrifice for you and for me to cover all of our sin.
And I thought, you know, Christmas is the time where we, it's, we get together around meals. And before we come to Christmas Eve and before we enter into the heart of this celebration of this season, isn't it fitting that perhaps this morning, on this Sunday before Christmas Eve, we come to this meal, the one that Jesus instituted, the, the Lord's Supper, where he said, do this, eat, eat of this bread and drink of this cup together in remembrance of me, in remembrance of what I'm about to do for you on the cross, in remembrance of me being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world for any and all who will look to me. You know, communion is important because it reminds us of three things. It reminds us of how serious sin is because our sin, our willful disobedience of God necessitated justice. And that justice has been fulfilled, but only through the death of one who was sinless, Jesus. And so anytime we kind of think, ah, it doesn't really matter how I live. It doesn't really matter what I think. It, it, it doesn't really matter. It does matter. Communion reminds us of the seriousness of sin because the cost it was for Jesus to take on human flesh, offer up his perfect life, and die a painful death under the just judgment of God in your place, in my place, that we might go free. Communion reminds us of the seriousness of sin. But communion also reminds us of how much God loves us because God was willing, the shepherd was willing to become the sheep and not just the sheep, but the very lamb of God for you, for me. He willingly did it. He wanted to do it. He came out of his love for you, his love for me. He's the shepherd who holds us close. He's the one who wants to ensure we're always with him and this is the way. And so when we come to the communion table, we're reminded about the immense unfathomable love of God that, that the Father would give up the only begotten Son for you, for me. And the last thing it reminds us of is how forgiven we are. Because it's not what we did. It's what He did for us. It's His blood, His shed blood that washes away all of our stuff and closes the gap between us and the living God. It's Him. Would you stand with me? I want to invite the communion servers to come this morning and the worship team to come as we prepare our hearts to come to the communion table to remember Jesus this morning. And as we prepare our hearts this morning, I want to invite you to take a sober moment before God. Take a sober moment before the Lord this morning to thank Him for the gift of His Son who has come to cover over all of your sin. Take a sober moment this morning to repent of any cavalier attitude towards how God would have you live. Any thought that what I do doesn't really matter in view of, of what this table tells us. And you know, I've been in that place. And this is a table for everyone. And the Apostle Paul talks about having sober judgment and coming forward to the table. And here's the amazing thing. Every time we, we come with a, a humble, repentant heart, 
you know, God is just there with open arms because he loves us. And he wants to wash over you with fresh grace. And he wants to take you to the next place with him if you'll get right with him. And this is your moment this morning. Let's all get right with him this morning where we need it. And as you come forward down these center aisles in a minute, and the servers offer you the bread, saying the body of Christ broken for you, and you eat that bread, and then you take the cup, but as the servers say, Jesus' blood shed for you, and you drink it. Eat and drink in the knowledge that you've been forgiven by what Jesus did for you, and that it's all been paid for. And this is the way Jesus wants us to remember him, this tangible way. As we prepare our hearts to come, and I want to ask the Holy Spirit to come and visit us with fresh grace this morning in all the places we need it. And part of that is the opportunity for you to receive prayer ministry this morning as we close. And so our prayer ministry team is at the back in that corner. And they would love to stand with you, pray with you, and for you. Sometimes you don't feel like you've got the strength to even pray. All good. Just come to the back. You don't have to name the thing even that's on your heart. Or maybe you've got someone in your life that isn't here and you want to stand in their place. And you say, hey, I'm here actually for a friend. Would you pray for them? I want to, would you stand with me as I stand to pray that God would intervene in their life in some way? And so whether you have a physical need, a relational need, or just a need to be renewed, either before the elements or after, come and receive prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this sacred moment that we're having of remembering the gift of your Son. We thank you, Lord Jesus. You willingly came. You willingly laid down your life for us. You're the shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. We see that you're, you are the perfect sacrifice to pay for all of our sin. And you were the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And Jesus, we just want to eat and drink worshipfully, reverently, and in remembrance of you this morning. Holy Spirit, will you come as we do and wash over us. I pray for a fresh word for each person here this morning of your heart to them. I pray, Lord God, for physical healing as we would pray for that this morning. I pray, Lord God, for the inbreaking of your kingdom upon the patterns of our life that we would be more and more like Jesus. I pray for this become a transformative moment as we surrender our heart to you afresh. In Jesus' name. Amen. So please come and receive these elements. Come down the center aisles. Exit the outer aisles. Come and receive prayer before or after. And let's continue in an attitude and a spirit of worship here this morning.